Hello and welcome to Cybercrime Investigations. Looking for the love bug with Jeff White and Glenn Goodman. So, first thing we should do is introduce ourselves. My name is Jeff White. I am an investigative journalist. I cover technology. And I'm Glenn Goodman. I'm a financial author and trader. Um, and today we're going to be talking about um, the love bug virus, the love letter virus from 2000, which is a bit of an oldie but goldie. Do you, do you remember this one, Glenn? Is this ringing a bell with Vaguely. you? Vaguely. Mm. I mean, it, it's, we're going back a long way. 2000. Yes. Tw- 20 years ago, which is... Uh, it's the anniversary. That's the whole the whole sort of point of this. It was 20 years ago today, or it was 20 years ago on May the 4th, that this virus happened. And I should explain, because obviously the, you know, people will be thinking, well, why the hell are we talking about a 20-year-old thing? Yeah, I was thinking that, yeah. Um, just a quick spoiler alert. The guy who, who, who behind it, or the people behind it, were never found at the time. He was never convicted at the time. So I, I managed to track the person down, and I managed to finally settle the issue of who actually did this virus and why which is something that for the last 20 years no one has known it's not been it's not been found so that's that must have taken them by surprise i'm guessing <laughs> we will come to that later on yeah um they were like 20 years later 20 i years. think we're safe now i think we've got away with it <laughs> not quite <laughs> <laughs> um so the other thing so did th- this by the way also so i've written this book about cybercrime crime.com which is going to be out in august Um, and this is, there was this issue about where to start the book. And so this, this chapter, this, this story of the love bug virus, uh, and the guy behind it is the first, it's the opening chapter in the book and it's the opening of the book kind of thing. And uh, also it, this was the first, the love bug virus was the first major computer virus pandemic that spread around the world. And we should also address the fact there have, there were previous ones, um, before that. Um, so there was a quite a famous. There was one called Melissa, which was the year before uh, Love Bug. Right. Um, I, I vaguely remember that name. Yeah, yeah, I might be thinking of some girl I knew called Melissa. Well, one or the other. F- funnily you mention it that the, the apparently it was called the Melissa virus because the guy who wrote it uh, fancied a stripper <laughs> called Melissa, <laughs> <laughs> and he thought but well, naming a virus after her would be a good way exactly. to win her hand in marriage. Exactly, exactly. Which does remind me of friends of mine at university that would build. Um, did friends? I had friends at university who were big smokers, dope smokers, and they used to build like bongs. And and did did you have friends like that who who you know got really into it and started building mechanics to smoke? stuff did you, did you ever no no i didn't <laughs> right. these guys the guys i knew named their their bongs uh, and they were generally naming them after ex-girlfriends so there was maybe this was just me at my university but like i think a, maybe had a load of friends <laughs> i who... don't remember anybody constructing <laughs> any construction projects going on on my corridor um anyway but the melissa the melissa virus hit about a million they think about a million computers um but the love bug virus uh, was much bigger and it went around the world and it was a huge news story at the time and stuff. So whilst it, it's not fair to say it was the first computer virus, uh, you know, it was the certainly the first one that hit multiple front pages around the world and caused, like, pandemic havoc. And there's some interesting stuff about how pandemics work and, like, obviously in the, the period that we're in with coronavirus, um, there's some interesting stuff to, to, to say about that. Speaking of which, by the way, we should address how, how are you... How are you doing with coronavirus but are you are you surviving well obviously yeah. surviving because you're talking to me but 
I'm fine. Good. Well, you know, I, I've, I, I semi-retired in 2012. Mm. It's about eight years ago. Uh, that's when I left my job at ITN in order to pursue a career as a as a financial trader, which I'd been doing as a hobby for quite a while. So basically, I've spent most of my time at home ever since then. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so you've, you've been in lockdown, really, for about eight years. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Only came out of my little hole to like give speeches at conferences or, or when I wrote my book, The Crypto Trader, <laughs> to, uh, you know, I had to launch that. Yes. Which was uh, uncomfortable. Blinking, yeah, blinking from the... From the- the I was like, God, can I launch it from my from my bedroom? What's the problem? <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, this is fine. This is I'm used to this. But also the other thing is people say uh, people say, oh, you know, when the markets are going crazy, you know, that must be boom time for you. I think they have this idea that market volatility and craziness instantly means money for people like you, for sort of you know domestic home traders, as it were. Like you. It usually doesn't. I mean, mm. nearly all traders lose money and have lost money during this period. I haven't. I I was foresighted enough to, you know, when all the news was coming out of China already, I was convinced at that point that we had serious problems. So uh, I sold all my shares quite early on and mm. I had portfolio insurance, which meant I was able to... to make some money as as things started going bad it was like an insurance policy effectively that paid out right um, see i feel like a mug so I'm, I'm quite smug i, I was one yeah <laughs> i was one of the ones early on going ah it'll be fine it'll all be over by 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 february or whatever we'll be over by mid-march and i, I just i've increasingly regretted my early optimism <laughs> as things have gone on <laughs> but anyway back to the love bug back to the love yeah. bug um uh, the, the reason the, the reason I want to talk about it and the reason I, I do think it's worth a obviously you've got the anniversary because it's 20 years ago and and you know there's this big news about the guy who who, who created it but also um, one of the things I find interesting about the love bug and one of the reasons it sort of stayed with me as kind of a thing I, I was thinking about is th- we've talked about you know we've we've obviously covered a lot of hacking incidents on the cybercrime investigations podcasts we've done and it's you will know this. It's so often about the email. Somebody gets an email with an attachment and they open the attachment or a link and they open. It's that thing where yeah. the, the person makes the mistake. And and that's one of the major things about the book of it is, you know, it's about people. The reason the love bug was so successful was it arrived, you know, as an email love letter. You know, here's a love letter for you. And that was why it was so successful, because in terms of what you're going to do to convince people to act on something you're looking for something that has universal appeal if you're going to spread your virus around the world you want global appeal and mm. the one thing that everybody wants is oh you're asking me um <laughs> no i shouldn't uh, sex you they, they want money. sex no love love glenn well oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> the se- <laughs> you see they, if they called it the sex bug the i would have clicked on that email but you know love bug i wasn't interested sorry <laughs> So this was this was May two thousand um, and came off the back of the the Y two K bug, which of course didn't really happen. Do you remember all that? That computers were going to struggle. Yeah. Well, I was struggle. arguing about this with my brother in law just the other day, as a matter of fact, because hmm. I still maintain, as a lot of a lot of people maintain, it did happen. 
in the sense that there was a huge amount of preparation by corporations and governments all around the world to make sure that it didn't cause enormous problems. Because my brother-in-law was going, oh, you know, this actually, the the reason we were having the argument was because of coronavirus. Because it was uh, was some weeks ago we were having this argument. So I guess, what, about a month or two ago, uh, we're arguing about... Uh, he was saying, I don't think this coronavirus thing will come to anything. And I was like, well, why do you think that, you idiot? <laughs> and he was saying, <laughs> because n- things don't. He was saying, remember swine flu? Remember SARS? Mm. Remember, you know, he started listing things that were supposed to become a big deal, but didn't really. And he included the Y2K bug. Mm. And I was saying, well, the Y2K bug is a perfect example of people taking enormous amounts of precautions in order to prevent a complete disaster happening. And that's why a disaster didn't happen. That's an interesting point, because a lot of people, a lot of commentators look back, or at least commentators I've read, look back on the Y2K bug and say, well, this was was tech security companies and tech companies generally flamming up the risk and saying, oh, this is going to be a big disaster in order to make money. But actually, you're right, there is a sense that if they hadn't have created that, that that fear, frankly, then companies might not have taken the steps that they did to make sure their systems were compatible and to, to and to have people on hand at New Year's Eve. There's a whole bunch of people, weren't there, sitting in the office on New Year's Eve in various companies, staring at the computer screen to see whether it would fall over. Um, yeah. So you're right, yeah, possibly, possibly the Y2K bug wasn't, didn't happen because we, we feared it so much. Um, well, likewise with coronavirus, the, the argument all along has been uh, that if lockdown is successful, then everybody will say, look, we didn't need yeah, lockdown. Yeah. Look how few cases we've got. Well, that's, that's the issue. That's the issue with, with, with le- releasing lockdown. If you release lockdown too early, you know, if, if you release lockdown before you show results, people say, why is it happening? If you release lockdown after you've had results, then people say, well, you know, lockdown was pointless. So I can, I can sort of see both sides of that. But actually, interestingly, in, in terms of viruses and computer viruses and coronavirus as a physical virus... Mm. One of the things that differentiates coronavirus, of course, from swine flu and from SARS and from Ebola and all of these slightly terrifying viruses we've had is that coronavirus can be infectious without showing symptoms. And if you look at the love bug virus we're going to talk about now as a computer virus, it was instantly obvious something bad had happened to your computer. So you remember mm. that we we did a thing about the, the, the WannaCry virus that hit the NHS yeah. disproportionately. Again, as soon as WannaCry lands on your computer, you know it's there. You know something's bad. So you act on it. You isolate that computer. What's interesting is, uh, you know, virus writers obviously have spotted this computer virus writers. So they're creating viruses um, that sit on people's machines and are incredibly stealthy and basically just lurk in the background in the same way that coronavirus is incredibly effective because it just, for a while sits there and lurks and potentially you know you can have coronavirus and then recover and never have shown any symptoms i've I've been told so you know there's there's a crossover between effective computer viruses that stay stealthy and effective coronavirus that stays stealthy Mm. yes but anyway the the, in 2000 i was working at an internet company in 2000 i remember the love bug well because i remember people around the office getting this thing and we'd all heard of it because obviously it's an internet company but and people would get it and they would, everybody would open it. <laughs> People just never learned not to open it. So uh, there was almost this belligerent, this sort of malignant kind of thing in people. Like, I'm going to click it. I'm going to open it and see if I can get infected. And the IT guy was literally running from desk to desk as new people got infected. It was insane. <laughs> it was totally insane. 
Um, but what was the what was the damage that it did? Did so it do any damage? It did. Yes. Yeah. It did do quite a lot of damage. Um, well, then why do people keep clicking? I on don't it, know. Then? I don't know. Just <laughs> I just remember that the office being full of people, sort of you know, like almost semi cheering when it happened to them. Um, so did this, it mean that they wouldn't have to work for a bit? Is that what? That's possibly true. Yeah. 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 Actually, in the early yes, this was the the dot com boom. So there wasn't a great deal of work going on anyway. Um, <laughs> But so this arrived, it was a love letter. It said, here is a love letter for you. Um, oh, it said, please see the attached love letter, I think was the text of the email. And then there was an attachment. And there was some little quirk whereby um, you could call a file um, a .txt file. So it looked like a notepad file or, you know, text file. But then yeah. you could put .txt and then .vbs, which is Visual, Visual Basic Script. And actually, the file is a Visual Basic script, i.e. it's a program that's going to execute. But you're looking at the .txt bit and thinking, well, it's, it's just a, a, a text document. I'll open it up. And that was, that was the trick. That was partly how it tricked people. Because um, even if I you were smart, I would still fall for that. Even you... <laughs> today, I would fall for that definitely. I'm totally going to send you a love letter after this and see if you fall for it. <laughs> you can still get copies of it. I think you can still download the love letter virus. It'd be worth seeing if anybody falls for it. <laughs> um, but it would uh, it overwrote files. So that was the first thing it did. Um, so then you couldn't sort of access any of your files. And then <clears throat> what it would do, and this was the sort of key thing. Um, which made it a worm virus, it would spread itself, it would, it would send copies of itself and, and copies of the email to everybody in your contacts book. So Outlook contacts book, and obviously most people were using Microsoft Outlook at the time. Yeah. It would send a copy of itself. And this is the mad thing. So, um, again, with viruses, we have real trouble comprehending exponential spread of viruses. Like with coronavirus, the idea that... You know, if you literally see half the number of people each day, if all of us see half the number of people, then, you know, we can prevent hundreds of thousands of infections, you know, a that, couple of weeks that, I mean, funnily enough, that's why I got, a, uh, in financial terms, I got ahead of the coronavirus because I deal with exponential functions so much mm. in in the world of trading. And my awareness of exponential functions has saved me a lot of times when because markets always tend to rise exponentially before a big peak, the mm. Bitcoin boom and bust being a classic example. And as soon as you see that exponential growth, it's generally the sign mm. that we're that you're, you're building to a big climax, a big crescendo. Um, so because I was so aware of those, once I saw the exponential growth that was occurring mm. uh, with the coronavirus and not so much in China, it was once I saw that it was growing from a very, very small base in places like South Korea, but mm. nonetheless, a, an unmistakable exponential uh, graph was, mm. was building up there. That's when I thought, yeah, this is yeah. this is going to be serious. There's no stopping this thing, yeah, yeah. even though we're only talking about, you know, at the time it was like 100 cases, and, yeah, you know, 120 yeah, yeah. cases. It was yeah. the writing was already on the wall. So, yeah, yeah the yeah. exponential function is uh, is all important. But I guess the whole world knows that now. Well, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, back in 2000, it was it was an issue as well. I mean, if you I think I worked I worked out for the book, if you if 50 people had spread this virus and then each of those 50 people had spread it to 50 people and so on, it was six or seven hops to go around everybody in the world to get to the six to the six billion. Wow. Yeah. And that's the thing. It, it's when you put it like that. It's really. I, I checked the sums at least three times, and God, I hope I'm right because the book is now being printed. But <laughs> I was like, that can't be true. And I did it in the calculator again and again. I was like, nope, that is. It literally takes six hops 
to, to get everybody in the world infected. And that's what, what was interesting. This was what caused the damage with the love bug. And this is another crossover between viruses, computer viruses like the love bug and coronavirus. Because yeah. it clogged email systems. It wasn't that everybody's opening it getting infected. It's just it sent so many copies of itself. And I mean, you know, computers were less powerful at that stage. You know, this is 20 years ago, you know, systems were less developed. And so systems would just clog up. Email servers would just clog up. And so what happened a lot of the time was as word got out, this virus was spreading, people would just disconnect their email server, disconnect computers from the Internet to stop themselves getting infected. Yeah. So when people talk, I mean, there's estimates of like billions of dollars of damage from Lovebug. But the reason for that is because it's a part of that cost was that organizations were taking their computers offline to protect them, which is it's similar to the coronavirus in that, you know, what's causing us the economic damage partly is that we're all disconnecting and isolating to stop ourselves getting infected. You know, very few of us actually, you know, it's tragic for the people who are, but very few of us are actually infected by coronavirus. When exactly was the love bug date dates wise? Fourth of May, 2020, fourth of May, 2000 was when it came out. That's interesting because that coincides almost perfectly with the peak of the dot-com boom. Mm. I, I don't know if anybody's investigated the idea that if so many companies and individuals are disconnecting themselves from the internet at that time, could that have been the sort of the little pin that burst, or one of the pins anyway, that burst the uh, internet bubble? That's interesting. I haven't investigated that. It sounds worth looking into. I know also there was this issue. That can be the sequel to your book. The sequel, yeah, crime.com part two. Um, you get 10%, obviously. Um there was also, with the dot-com crack, I don't know, have, look, having joined the company literally at the start of the boom when it was getting crazy, and then obviously left very shortly after the crash, our share price, I think, was 60 bucks when I joined, and I think it was six cents when I left. Um, I don't blame myself. I don't think I'm connected to that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, one of the things was there was this just willful exuberance where stuff was just, you could see it was overvalued. And we could yeah. see, so when I joined, it was an advertising agency, when I joined, you know, you, you could buy cost per impression. So a thousand ads would cost you this. And then people stopped paying by impression, started paying by click, you know, I want clicks. And then they were like, no, we don't want clicks. We're going to pay by, you know, conversion. Then people actually buy at the end of it. And you could just see, you know, the, the, the amount of money pumping into it starting to dry up as people realized, hang on, this is, you know, a lot of this stuff we're being sold as voodoo is, is, is you know, fake, fake science. Um, Cost per conversion see. must have been a, a bit of a wake-up call. Yes, once. yes. <laughs> like, remember when that came in, yeah. Cost per impression, ah. anybody can get millions of impressions, uh -huh. but getting people to actually click through. Yep, yep, which is to do with the quality of the people who, you know, who are actually looking at the ad. And also, of course, with the dot-com crash, there was the, the, the massive overvaluation of companies and the idea that, you know... Some of the people who were who were given pre-release shares in these companies were actually the people doing the valuations in them. Was 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 one of the things I read. So the, it just seemed the whole thing seemed primed to go under. But it was mm. God. It was fun when it lasted. The parties were incredible. <laughs> Why wasn't I at those? I, I, kind of I didn't know you then, Dan. I wouldn't have invited you anyway, even if I had. 
I was a business journalist yes. at, the, at that time. And so, yeah, I got invited to, like, business lunches with with dot-com companies and stuff. But there was, there was no, you know, wild partying for me. Oh, okay. They didn't invite me to that stuff. Well, you're obviously covering the wrong bits of the industry then in that case. But, um, but anyway, so, so, so this was, yeah, this was also the environment in which I was working in quite a sort of techie, uh, environment. Just to put this into context, when I left the internet company, I went to local newspapers where we had the internet computer, just one in the office. So if you wanted, as a local journalist in the paper, to check something or email, so you had to queue for the internet computer. <laughs> so that, you know, the office environment I worked in at the, tech, at the internet company is obviously quite techy, and we were all connected and all high speed internet and stuff, and well, yeah. what we call in them days high speed internet. And oh, was, are you talking about like 2000, 2001? Yeah. They still had an internet computer. The local paper, yeah. yeah. I mean, because that's very much a 1997 kind yes. of situation. By 2001, well, I thought everybody was connected. <laughs> when you say a 1997 situation, I think the local newspaper I worked on, that, that phrase sums up the entire, not just its IT setup, but the entire company. was, a, was an, It was more of a 1987 setup, anyway. Unfortunately <laughs> for the local paper industry, they're still largely in 1997, yes, which is why they're, yeah, they're suffering yeah. so badly during coronavirus. <laughs> Anyway, so so set the scene. Lovebug is going nuts, um, and it just the the effect compounded and compounded and compounded. And of course, each person who gets infected unleashes another sort of wave of emails onto their you know their contact. Who yeah. if then again if they if one of them clicks it again another wave of it. So it's just this again. It's you know the, the epidemiology of viruses is similar. You know, as soon as you lift lockdown, as soon as one person gets out and is in contact with a bunch of people, you get another wave going through, and these waves amplified. It got to the point where um, the House of Parliament in the UK took their email systems offline to stop getting infected. Uh, apparently the wow. Pentagon the Pentagon was affected, was one of the headlines. It just went absolutely nuts. It's reached the Pentagon! It's reached the Pentagon! DEFCON 1! <laughs> um, but so, so the other thing is, so Lovebug uh, scrambled files, spread copies of itself, but it also stole passwords. So right. that was one of its key functions. And uh, these were the days where you could, you could analyze the viruses quite easy, easily. The viruses weren't packed and encrypted in the way they are now. So once you got the love bug virus, you could sort of just literally download it and read it on your computer. Obviously, everything else was scrambled, but you could read the code. Yeah. And they discovered the stolen passwords of being sent to an email address. Yeah. Uh, tracked down the email address, and they tracked that back to Manila. <laughs> In the next episode, the criminal investigation starts to focus on the Philippines. And 20 years later, that's where I end up, too.